Welcome back to Disposable Design. Today, Thomas and I want to discuss a framework for IDs. Basically, it's an organizational structure to help you grow your online department. We'll talk about potential pitfalls and roadblocks you may experience along the way. Check it out. Oh yeah, do you have any? Do you have anything from last show that you want to continue arguing about? In, uh, we don't really time? argue, though. I mean, no. we've got to get into some stuff that we'll actually like fight about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and the only thing from the only thing from the last show that I've continued to, to ponder really is this idea of, of why do we think that academic IDs need to have advanced degrees? Uh, that yeah, going back to that, and you know, I thought about that for um, for a long time actually, because <laughs> the more I think about it. And, and you brought up a good point, you know, just to be able to match wills with these professors. <laughs> and and yeah. it does give you, it does give you an air of authority, sort of, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, so, I mean, that, it's not necessarily a, a bad idea. And then when they go over to corporate or, um, you know, step into a director of innovation job or something like that, it's nothing but beneficial. So after pondering for a while, I, I no longer disagree, I guess. Um, I think, well, I think good, because I've changed my mind, too. So now we can argue with each other on the other <laughs> side of it. Uh, no, not really. But, but um, so what I was thinking of mostly was the perspective of, like you were saying, like not quite a position of authority, but being able to speak to the faculty, knowing the position that their students are potentially going through at the grad student level which is a completely different experience than if you've only got a bachelor's degree or, or, you know, an associates or just, you know, 20 years of experience in that, in that industry. Um, but then I was thinking about when I look at the job postings for IDs out in the, the, um, the corporate world, so to speak. And I see these things that say like they want 10 years of ID experience and intricate knowledge of pipeline systems. Yeah. And, and, and thinking <laughs> from a, um, a collegiate ID, where I've worked with almost every college on campus. I've built classes for, for you know, the ag uh, um, crew. I've built classes for advanced science. I've, I've worked at the body farm and helped them set things up out there. Like nobody ever asked me, do you have seven years of, of pipeline experience? Yeah. When, when it, right, like I was my expert on what I did. They, they didn't consider me an expert. Um, and then they were bringing in the SME part of it. Mm-hmm. Me knowing the intricacies of anything that they were doing never even occurred to them. So the, the, I guess that that's kind of where we get some of it from. We're like, oh yeah, no, no, we need to be as informed in this process, but it's the same, it's the same flaw in thinking. Mm-hmm. It is. So that, that, so I think the solution, right? Cause we've got to solve all these problems that we sit here and, and, and bemoan um, is um altering the, the, the job postings a little bit to say maybe a degree or appropriate experience to equal it. And then let us determine on the hiring committees whose job experience and what, right? If somebody worked for eight years on a, on a tight research team that was producing publications, that was working with you know doctors in their fields, that to me is the same as having an advanced graduate degree because it shows that level of rigor of research attention to detail, managing a lab where if you, you know, screw up something like all of your cultures die and you have to start six months over, right? That level of seriousness that you get from people. 
Yeah, my and husband I was, I was, brought up this amazing analogy with his own job. He's like, if somebody drops dead tomorrow, do you want the guy with 35 years experience out there um, trying to figure out who killed you? Or do you want the guy who just came off the street with a bachelor's degree? I mean, there's something to be said for all the experience. And, and it bothers yeah. me that they still that they still try to discount that for, I hate to say for a piece of paper, because it's more than a piece of paper, but that experience, it, it has a lot of value. Yeah. And it's nuanced too, right? Because you've got the opposite thing where you had, um, you know, fire inspectors that were sentencing people essentially to life in prison based on, you know, nonsense, uh, um, uh, homeopathic fire inspection tactics that were passed on down from people. So that person's 35 years of experience is is nothing compared to the guy with the graduate degree in fire science or whatever it's called. I'm, I'm sure you've I'm been watching Netflix documentaries again. Haven't um, <laughs> no, no, actually, a family friend of ours growing up was one of the fire inspectors for Houston, who had the uh, he was the guy that that trained and maintained the fire dog. And so he was always talking to us about how the dog was better than some of the inspectors that he went to conferences and heard from and stuff. Oh. So, um, and that dog was never able to get to 35 years of experience, sadly, due to <laughs> early retirement uh, uh, forced upon him. Um, so but, maybe, but, maybe it's a balance then. I mean, yeah. honestly, to me, at this stage of the game, it's, it's common sense. And right. you can't teach that. You can't teach common sense. Uh, and yeah, every parent will tell you the struggles of, of trying to pass common sense on down to the next generation. Um, yeah, I mean, to some to some extent, yeah, you can't teach common sense. You can help formulate a norm so that people that you help quote unquote raise will look back and say, you know, these are the behaviors I'm supposed to emulate. Um, uh, but yeah, you never know. What a perfect segue into a framework for ID. Oh, yeah, like we have a point for this discussion, <laughs> don't we? Oh, my gosh. Um, actually, let me grab more coffee. I'll be right back. It's not fair I didn't get my coffee yet. Last one slipped in there. Anyway, uh, framework for ID. So I, I came up with this idea, so I think it's only fair that, that you tell us what you think it means. Well, looking over it, it looks like a framework from a managerial point of view. Um, mm -hmm. So if, and you're, I, I came if you're building up, a team of IDs, that's kind of what it looked like to me. Yeah. And that's kind of what, so I was at a conference and I heard these people talking about their ID structure mm -hmm. and their ID structure was um, their, their university system had four colleges that were remote and they had one ID uh, no, they had two two IDs in one central location. So, so three of those colleges were remote from those two IDs, and they would just show up with um, boxes, boxes and boxes of stuff, and say, you know, here's my syllabus, here's my source content, here, oh. here build, build a class. And and these people were were talking. These two IDs that were presenting were talking about their experiences as IDs and how. They, I don't think they knew what they were, that they that not that they weren't IDs, but that they were in this you know nightmare scenario where they're repairing the raft that they're on as it's being fed into the volcano. <laughs> um, highly productive. So yeah. it, that's where that's where I got the idea of thinking about well, well, their faculty have access to 
some form of ID, but what is it? Like, what is a structure and how would they grow from there? And how do you have a conversation with those two IDs about what you're doing at your university? And, and then God forbid you have to talk to an administrator about the difference between the two. So that's where this framework for ID uh, idea came from, that um, there's a level zero, which is where everybody starts for the most part. And then like everything I say, because I'm a master equivocator, there's exceptions. So there's always faculty that are further up this uh, framework for ID chain than their structures allow for support and they don't care because they've developed their own content, they've developed their own methods, they've got their content even off, off LMS on their own areas that they control, um, whether that's school supported or not. Uh, we'll leave that for another podcast. Um, it, but most of their colleagues are at this level zero where the faculty have an LMS and anything less than that, you're not doing ID and online ed. If you don't have an LMS, um, you're just relying on on whatever random you know publisher sides of things or, or email or, or IT, or, or IT and, and systems that were designed for for you know team communication and collaboration that are being used for for um, distribution of class materials and, and live meetings and stuff. Which it can look good and it can be managed well, but um, it's extremely so um, much extra work. Yeah, yeah, um, on everyone's it's a heavy part. Heavy lift. Yeah. Yeah. If they're not fed in programmatically to, to if the student loads aren't fed in and then the faculty have things you know set up in folders for them the rest of it it's uh it's still a nightmare um and then also at level uh, zero so you've got an lms you've got no id services available essentially and in that that school with the four colleges and the two ids i'm essentially listing them as no id services available because if if a department decided, hey, we want to put a program online and they contact those people. There's no ability to fast track anything. Um, so you have a lot of publisher content at level zero and you have um, uh, what, what we have moved away from called the filing cabinet design, which is there's no modular aspect to it in the sense of guiding the students through it. It's designed like a filing cabinet where how, here's all my exams, here's all my um, uh, uh, documents that go with the assignments. And, and then I'm going to put, you know, all of my videos here in one separate folder. And it just uh, leads to a, um, a non-ideal experience for the students. And then the, um, well, the well, danger. Pause there, pause there, pause there. Cause you just said something that I don't think a lot of people really consider in this field. And that's the experience of the student. Um, really? They don't consider that? <laughs> Stop it. But but I'm I'm serious, and I feel like the whole field as as a as a entity really needs to shift their shift their way of thinking because they're talking at students, but they're not they're not truly servicing their students, and and I I definitely see that in in your um, ID framework. So as we move up it, I I want to come back to that because I think that moving up the framework does produce a better product for your students. Yeah. And even structuring it based around the idea that you can't beat yourself down to meet the needs of the, the lowest common denominators in your class, right? The students that are, you know, either gaming the system or there to get a C or, or things like that. You can't beat yourself up down to the point of oblivion, trying to alter all of your content to be perfect for everybody. Well, and there are better ways to handle those students too, even in an online environment. I mean, there's yeah, lots perfect. of things yeah. you can do. Yeah. 
perfectly said. Yeah, don't don't adjust the content when you can use support mechanisms or support staff or, or academic success areas or, or center, yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, a, a <laughs> megaphone. Um, and then and then the danger um, at level zero is that um, your administration will sign a contract with a predatory online education company, and I won't name any of them because they're predatory and they will come after me. Yeah. Um, but you know who you are. And then they set up these contracts with the, the schools where they gain immediate access to a bunch of online students per se, but the courses are developed by outside bodies, they're managed by outside bodies, upwards of, of 60 to 75% of the income that's brought in, um, potential income isn't anymore because they only get to keep 25% of it. And then it's this um, top heavy relationship where you can't say no anymore because now you lose that 25% and they take all the content with them. Um, one of the schools I saw develop this contract built into it and said, over time, we will be building our own content and canceling your classes to replace them with ours over like eight year period. And that was the best one of those academic uh, um, uh, education company contracts that I've seen from a, from a Texas institution. I saw I'm that. Surprised. I was like, okay, that's, that's beautiful. Surprised. Yeah that the company actually signed up for that. Yeah, I mean, it's still a bunch of money for them, right? They had already got the classes developed. It's not like they redeveloped any of that content for that school. So yeah, that's, I don't, I don't that's remember unusual. what company it was anyway. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was unusual. And it was a company that I've seen not do that with other institutions. And it could have just been that that school was big enough and lucrative enough that, that even that, that tiered down approach was still enough money for them to want to do it. Um, yeah, so that's level zero. So you've been in the classroom at level zero. Um, yes, I have. <laughs> what's, what's that like? Um, I was that teacher that I hate as an ID. Um, I was that teacher who was doing things outside the system. I was the teacher who had things hosted in things outside of what the district approved um, and it goes back to because I knew what was best for my students and they weren't getting it there, there was no help coming from the district there's there's no resources there's literally no resources in a title one school and if you have any they're going towards um, very specific things like reading and, and math so you know, as an elective, there was there was nothing. So level zero, yes, I've been there, and I was the annoying teacher. Mm -hmm. And Title One is the best, right? That's why oh, it's called of Title One. <laughs> you know, I say it, people. It, there are two types of teachers out there. They're they're the ones who like to go to their their neighborhood school and teach, and then there are those who. It is a thankless job to teach in Title I. It is hard, it is difficult, and everything that they teach you in um, alternative certification programs um, never, never prepares you for the needs that these children, need, that, they, that they bring to the classroom. I mean, survival, most of them are struggling to survive. And that's another thing that I think is missing in the IDPs. You know, when we're designing courses, you need to consider those students who, who don't have anything. Yeah, they have a computer sitting in front of them, but they spend all their money trying to get out of poverty, get this computer, and now they're eating ramen or mac and cheese. I mean, we had a food bank on our, our, in our school. 
that we all donated to, that the community would donate to. So um, that's another yeah. one of those pieces that that doesn't get enough attention, especially right. as I move through as I move through these ISDT programs. The at-risk students, the ESL or ELL—they're calling it now—students. Um, all of these students online bring a special, a special group of needs that is really hard to address. So. And is there any classwork about addressing those issues in the, um, you know, the not teacher certification the online programs? Environment. Not, not for, not for the online environment specifically. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean. It's only 20 years old. Um, the the, the slow response to, to changing, you know, needs demographically. Well, and I think you guys are trained to address their needs as learners. And then you get in the classroom and find out that they're also people. Um, have you tried not caring? Just not an option. Mm, okay. They made me need a course on that. Yeah. Although there were in, several of my co Enforced apathy. To that. <laughs> <laughs> that's always delightful to find out in yeah. education um so yeah that's level zero mm -hmm. then we have level one uh again you know your faculty are going to have an lms they've got a support desk right so now they've got some place for the students to actually call it and the students can get their help done uh that way email chat whatever it is maybe it's not 24 7 but it exists maybe it's part of it maybe it's part of academic support staff uh it doesn't matter um then the faculty can step away from being the tech support for every issue. Any, any, there's so many barriers to doing anything online if you don't have somebody to send your students to. And, and how many faculty or how many teachers are going to say, yes, I would love to be tech support for 30 ninth graders. <laughs> well, let's be real. A lot of those teachers don't know a lot about tech themselves. So they can't right. answer the questions. Yeah, now it's, it's they may be, have um, a vendor relationship or they've gone to a really good conference presentation and they've seen a key piece of how to use something in their classroom, but they don't have any of the supporting experience to, to assist the students with the setup, with the issues, with the troubleshooting, you know? Um, yeah. So uh, limited ID services available. Now we've got an ID for an entire college and university. So that other example I had where you had four satellite uh, uh, colleges and two IDs, they're, they're halfway there. So they would need two more IDs to be at level one. Um, but the growth is still not strategic, right? Colleges are, are going online when they feel like it. Um, or, or they tell you, uh, they, they call the IDs in, in August and say, hey, you know, we can, we can put this online for the fall, right? You just click copy and paste. We got some publisher content and um, we got some uh, DVDs. I've got um, some friends living through that right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, the programs can decide to move online simultaneously, develop their own timelines for it, with or without content, with publisher content. Um, publisher content is something that I would recommend to a lot of people at level one. Really? It is the perfect, I say depend yeah. on the publisher. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because um, all, all instructional materials are not created equal. No, and, and something that I, I recommend in writing and in the, um, my, my painting hobby is if you reach a block, do something wrong on purpose so that you can just sit there and cringe in agony as you do it. 
No, no, I'm just kidding. But but doing something wrong on purpose or not necessarily doing it wrong on purpose, but doing something that you know is not optimized and seeing it through so that you fully understand why you need to do it the way that the experts recommended. And and don't put you know people's lives on the line when you do these little experiments, but that's how I have to learn. I have to see the variables in play and I have to I have to feel what needs to be uh, uh, changed and, and edited. So strategic question, mm -hmm. um, how long do you think it takes for one hour of, one hour of training, one hour of um, schoolwork, whatever, how long do you think that takes preparation wise? Cause there's a number. Mm. And if we lived by that number, everything would be amazing, but we don't have the resources to live by that number. Very few so, organizations do. So I think of things in a, in a, in a cycle and actually in my graduate presentation, I used a picture of a rock tumbler and I used the rock tumbler approach to instructional design, right? Where you have to pull the rocks out and, and, and look at them every once in a while before you can put them back in. And so that's the semester deployment, right? Um, I use multiple semester deployments to refine a particular product. So in the beginning, you know, three or four hours over semesters, over time, keep working on them, keep adjusting them. The time goes down for some things, goes up for others because you have to pull the pieces out. But I mean, over, over a three semester period, I say five hours mm. for one hour. No, if you're going through the entire cycle, the way it was meant to be starting with that one piece that we we talk about that nobody ever goes through as then the needs assessment right, and all of yeah. that honestly for each one hour you should budget at least eight hours working time for the first build i mean i understand what you're saying after you have it built out you know the recycling and the and mm -hmm. the pulling and, and and reviewing which i hope everybody's doing <laughs> Um, not just, you're not just putting the same course out there every, every semester, right? Without going over your content, just saying, uh, but no, it's, it's actually statistically eight hours for a, for a true build eight hours hmm. per one hour. That okay. Is. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. We never do that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then there's the idea of like, you know, creating prototypes at the beginning and how time consuming that is. And, and I use the, we'll do it live method of adapting on the fly as needed, but but trying to fulfill your, your original plan for your semester to, to, to the degree that you can. And that way you won't have too many variables to look at when you come back to it. So going um, back to um, the whole point of, I think level one, which I never thought about from, from that perspective, but you're 100% right. If you can get a support desk in there the amount of work that you're taking off the professor or teacher is is huge. And I think back to when we brought Canvas online in my district, we were all that the students had. There was no place yeah. for the students to go. So what a great idea if you could bring that down to the K through 12 level, not just keep it up in, in secondary and, and higher ed. Yeah, and then the unquantifiable uh, um, fear element Right? How many teachers just are not <laughs> going to do a dang thing if you present them with a tool? And I, when I was in it IT, happens. I saw this happen over yeah. and over and over again. We would have these enterprise level deployments of these amazing tools with absolutely no follow through with examples or trainings beyond like, here's what we got from the publisher. So here's the training that you get or the, 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 the 
the software provider or whatever. Well, you know, the other no guidance piece of that so. was the buy-in. You didn't show them why they needed it to begin with. You yeah. didn't show them what they, to do. In IT, they didn't feel like it was their job. Mm-hmm. We have we have assessed a need. We have provided a tool. Mm-hmm. But did they we ask the them. teachers? The who? <laughs> and then um, um, the last the last piece about level one is the faculty that um, are inexperienced online. They've gone to one conference. They watched a seminar. They saw a TED talk. Now they're building online classes with little to no oversight, no cooperation departmentally, God forbid, across uh, departments, unless they just happen to have little buddies and little groups. And this is just like the caveat for level zero. There's always going to be faculty that are beyond the 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 university beyond the institution um, and then in the dangers area is um, a lot of people can get to level one and say we're doing it right we've got faculty buy-in we've got people doing stuff online um, we've got a support desk now like this is it we've made it um, no there's so many more things and so many more opportunities if they continue to strategically develop um, or begin to strategically develop, which leads us to level two. So anything that that level one, you've you've probably experienced level one too in a lot of different ways. Um, well, I would think that one of the other dangers that you run into with level one are those teachers who are who are now driving the bus, and some of them are are pushing you in a direction that may not necessarily be the the best direction that you need to go, like. You know, oh, well, we've got this. Let's add this tool. Let's add this tool. Let's add this tool. And it becomes um, basically just a paella. <laughs> I mean, that's the only thing. Yeah. I'm hungry. Well, yeah, you know? yeah. Just throw everything and in there, you know? <laughs> if you, and if you, all of your knowledge comes from one specific seminar or, or training or whatever, right? You are in danger of, of having everything formed a certain way that it, that it just doesn't uh, adapt and work. And so for instance, my dad bought a car and at one point it only turned left. And so imagine, you know, you're the teacher. Uh, (laughs) it was some kind of big Lincoln. Um, so it took him a long time to get anywhere. Right. Cause he had to make four left turns, um, or, or three left turns. I'm terrible with, with, uh, spatial issues. Um, the point being, it doesn't matter how good your intentions are if you're trained to drive in a way that that you have to make ridiculous things to get to your destination. I've seen plenty of faculty do this with tools that they've implemented and they say things like, you've got to download this and print this out and then upload it here and you've got to take this screenshot with your... No, no, you don't. Um, so level two, right? We're getting into places now where I think faculty are like, I want, I want to be in level two um faculty have access to an lms the support desk there it's there for the students and the faculty beyond just you know connection issues and basic troubleshooting um and you've got trainings right they've got some sort of contract with an outside vendor to provide trainings or they as they adopt tools they pay for that on-site trainings that that vendors provide and uh, software providers hopefully have um and then you get into the idea of, of uh, <clears throat> ID teams, right? You don't just have the one ID strapped to the mast in the hurricane that is the onslaught of online education. You've got, you know, teams of them. I'll stop my sailing analogies there because that's all I've got. Um, You're all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My analogies are the worst. Um, 
they're as bad as someone that's bad at analogies. Um, <laughs> so the ID teams are out there. Maybe you've got an ID team for each major college and program now instead of just uh, um, you know one for each university or, or satellite school. Um, so you've got planned growth. You've got staff hired in, in, in conjuncture with large scale uh, development programs and, and movements online um, before the classes are being developed, maybe. That might be more like level three. Um, so the, the faculty that, that were the masters at level one are now the experienced elite online instructors in level two. Hopefully some of them have committee level contacts. They're in their faculty senate. They have the ability to inform and guide um, the others in their departments and programs and help people share their content, share their videos, um, come back from conferences with ideas that they're able to actually share with somebody that can help them operationalize them. Um, Cross-departmental collaboration even exists, um, which is which is great. And you find out like, oh, there's an English lit class that's working together with a CJ class to develop a writing program around cold cases so that these things can get brought back into the light. Or I just made that up. I hope that actually exists. Um, <laughs> it would actually be a good program. <laughs> Yeah, no, I need to call somebody. <laughs> um, um, actually, you can do it yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, shared content. People are building programs and projects in one college that can then be implemented as micro lectures or mini lectures in other programs. Um, business and communication working together. If there isn't already a business communication degree, there's so many different uh, cross-pollinations that can happen naturally with, with faculty that have a structure to support them. And they're not, they're not penalized for experimenting, I guess is a key part of level two as well. I could see that. But so one of the issues I see with this level is that there has to be a strategic decision as as an organizational whole that that's what we want because there are a lot of I mean, and this is across all all three you know organization I'm, I'm talking higher ed k-12 through and with um, organizational training mm -hmm. there are people who want to remain in those silos this right, is mine. Right, right. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. And they don't have a bigger yeah. they don't have a bigger picture vision of what their organization can become. Sure. So, yeah, and how many of those people there are and how strategically they're placed will will limit a level two from ever going anywhere beyond and, and can potentially drag certain programs back down to level one. But um, ideally, wouldn't that be somewhere that you wanted your organization to go? Right, 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 right. And, and even even a key few, a few, a key few, a few key stakeholders at the university that are on board can help push a university up to level two, even though certain pockets may stay at level one. Um, any supporting structure for, for faculty is, is better than none. And, and while you were while you were saying like, yeah, they have to have a, a lot of buy in. Yes and no, as long as they don't have a punishment structure put in place for like, oh, yeah, yeah, you tried this online and it didn't work. So therefore, online doesn't work. Right. And it doesn't have to be uh, um, 
from an, uh, from an authority figure. It can be from colleagues, right? Somebody can be the first person to teach math online and they didn't get it. And they, like we said before, they went to one conference and learned how to use one tool for something and they didn't know how to implement it and they didn't know how to adapt it to things that happened to them during the semester. And now everybody, well, yeah, obviously then math can't be taught online. But that um, goes back to your your structure with your IDs. That's what your ID mm -hmm. is there for. So yeah. if you're not using that resource, I mean, part of part of building up through the levels is also recognizing and utilizing all of your resources to the best of their advantage. And I think that a lot of, uh, again, across the board, I think there are a lot of wasted resources, whether it's because of lack of communication or um, just managerial what's the word I'm looking for um lorddom <laughs> I mean I don't yeah. but yeah, you know, there's there's a there's feudalism yeah bingo yes bingo yeah. so if well and, not... and here's another thing that happens though when you move from level one to level two you've got people that that were those key people at level one that aren't as optimized as they think they are at level two so they now become a, a blockage and they're at the plateau while the rest of everybody moves forward into the into the advancement that is level two and you've also got um uh, no i lost it's gone. it it happened it, it's gone um but yeah before before we get too far into the dangers of level two um other institutions siphoning off your your experts right now you've got faculty with four years teaching online five years teaching online that's 10 semesters not including summer that's a massive trove of experience that can be siphoned off by another institution that is only at level one right and now they're looking it's like oh man this guy's taught this class seven times online we're trying to build that class that faculty's gone same thing Maybe with the ids faculty mm. That's another What's that show. face for? That's another show. <laughs> Take care of them. I mean, I don't know what you mean. Uh, I know, I know. But I'm just, you know. Mm -hmm. And to me, again, the most important part as you're moving up this framework, the person who is best served by this, it's not just a win-win for the university, a win-win for the faculty. The students are getting a richer online experience and and how can you not want to go? How, how can you not want to do that? Seriously. And now I remembered what I was going to say. So as you go from one to two and you've got those people that didn't benefit from the strategic growth, right? You've got the IDs and the faculty that are starting along the same times. So they built a program together. They've got an ongoing relationship, but now you've got new faculty coming in and old entrenched faculty. Strategic growth almost never includes retroactive relationship building with these established people. You've got to bring them up too into the same relationship that the new faculty get to build. And it has to be a strategic uh, endeavor to get to level two with those faculty. And it is possible. It is possible because as I came onto the university, I was handed a couple of people that they said would never do online. They're never yeah, going to yeah, do yeah. it. And I am so proud of them and how much growth they have exhibited. And there is one who shall remain nameless, but he is, he is, makes my I heart happy. I know exactly happy. who you mean. He makes my heart so happy because the other day I was on the phone with him and he says, you know, I really think I like this online stuff now. And I was like, yes, yes. 
Yes. So I made I a believer it. out of that one, which That's everybody cool. bet against me. And is he is he going to teach online? Post pandemic. Are you kidding? He's he's teaching all his classes online now. He's not going oh, back into okay. the classroom. No. He's not going back. Okay, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if he was not going back or just retiring or, or what. So now oh, no, moving online, that's great. Especially that's now. Now that yeah, he can man. do it from home, he's like, no, I got a couple more years in me. Like, yes, that's amazing. That's awesome. Um, so what, oh, yeah, yeah. Does, uh, yeah. what does and Utopia the, look like? <laughs> well, the final danger of, uh, of level two mm-hmm. is that it's new growth, right? And anybody that's ever tried to half-ass tend a garden knows that new growth is extremely sensitive. So uh, level two is in danger of being derailed by administrative changes or just a lack of understanding or a backing of online programs, right? Like we talked about the one faculty member building a course and then saying he had a bad experience. Well, now if there's a couple of them and they were the key people in a pilot program, well, you know, now the two year contract is over, it's not renewed, right? The online endeavor is doomed to failure. And that, flavor uh, will last at the institution for for an, a, a stupid amount of time um it, so yeah that's that's the danger of level two it can it can quickly revert back to level ones without a, uh, any 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 sign or, or ability to move back up the chain until you have another administrative change i've, um, I've seen that with several several friends have gone through that um and that's that's unfortunate me personally i've never had an experience of working at a true level two. I think we're pretty close to that. I really do. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's that constant threat of, well, who's going to take over and what's going to change? I, I've mm-hmm. never, and I've never worked. Well, I say that. Um, my first school was pretty close to, to this as well because everybody was on the same page and worked as a community rather than as a organizational structure. So and what do you we, mean by everybody? I mean, teachers worked with administration, um, administration oh, you, you had the everybody. buy-in of teachers. They, they cared about what we thought we needed. Um, we, we weren't always right, but sometimes, you know, if we weren't right, they would explain to us their point of view. So it was, and and that's rare. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're that's really that's really hard to find in yeah, any Yeah, that's like the community level too. Yeah, um, but it was a phenomenal school, and we did some amazing things there. And it's it was kind of like lightning in a bottle. So it really comes back to this is where the pressure comes onto the administration. What kind of organization do you want to run? And some of yeah. them don't want that kind of innovation. Some of them don't want that much autonomy. They want to have more control over what's going on. And I get that too. I get that too. Because with this comes experimentation and with experimentation comes money. And mm. experiments don't always work. Yeah. So I understand from a fiscal point of view why this would be a little bit terrifying for some administrations. Sure, sure. I don't know. I mean, I'm terrified daily. I'm middle manager. <laughs> I heard somebody online say something hilarious about middle managers. They were like, it's only middle managers that want people to go back into the office. And I'm like, no, no, those people no. are bad at their job. 
if you have to have your people in front of you to know that they're working, you don't know how to train them and you don't know how to supervise them. Agreed. That's a whole nother show. We'll that later. Okay. So now we're at level three. We're at the impossible is already taking place. Uh, the Dyson sphere analogy that I used, which is a, a sci-fi um, theory or an idea that for, for a civilization to be advanced enough to handle, you know, interstellar travel and, and to be a galactic civilization, you have to be able to basically siphon off the, the entire energy of a star. And that's what the Dyson sphere is. It's a, it's a, a, a device built around a star to harness all of its energy. So that's where we are now at the level three of instructional design, right? Everything is harnessed together. It's coalesced into these amazing systems that feedback, you know, um, feedback from a, a design rubric. Um, faculty have multiple discipline specific publisher LMSs to handle their little key pieces so that they're not having to build Spanish flashcards and build a system to maintain attendance. And all these things are handled programmatically. They're maintained for the faculty. They're sent over to academic support staff that can handle both the questions from the students, the questions from the faculty, the um, frustrations from the publishers, getting that stuff set up, getting those things moved over. Videos are made. Um, training is even required to teach online or is a pathway to teach online. That's some sort of training goals happening. Strategic growth is expected, right? You, you have a conversation almost every time another college or, or program moves online where people expect to, to meet the new ID, right? Mm -hmm. At the university level and the ID team and everywhere between. Um, ID teams are managed by IDs, people that had ID experience that grew up in hopefully the level two that, that spawned this level three. And if not something comparable to where they can deal with the, uh, the institutional changes as they happen. Um, IDs are, are asked to inform decisions across the hierarchy, right? When publishers are implemented or, or um, contracts are being decided upon for, for, for signing or for canceling, IDs are actually brought into the discussion. Um, faculty begin to reach out to the IDs naturally when they have IDs when they have ideas about future courses to see what's possible in the LMS environment instead of the reverse where content is decided upon and structured based upon existing faculty knowledge and then adapted by the ID. Um, faculty and ID are, are co-presenting, they're co-authoring papers, they're, they're working on projects together that are in the faculty's interest, maybe not necessarily connected to a, a, a class Organizations across campus are, are managed by IDs and helped with ID uh, input so that even, even the non-academic structure of the online environment is informed and, and guided to, to help people not have daily nightmares. Um, the guide that I mentioned previously, right? You've got a rubric or a guide for online development of these courses. It's adhered to at administration and faculty level and combined with the online training segment and certification series that you've got. Um, and there's still dangers at level three, right? There's, well, there's always the danger of backsliding. I, I think yeah. that um, before you get into the dangers, I think that we have had, 
we have so many elements of this level and I think where we're lacking in this level is probably going to fall underneath your dangers. <laughs> um, but I, I fully believe that nobody should, nobody should be designing a course without some sort of rubric, um, without some sort of evaluation of the course. And right. that, that is the key. That is the cornerstone of the whole program is you have to have something that basically can it is some measure of the effectiveness of the course now is it going to be the same for every course i don't i don't know so you come across you have to have more of a holistic rubric than an analytic rubric because if it was analytic it's going to look different across every every discipline um so maybe it's a combination of both uh, but i know that we use a holistic rubric and I personally think that our rubric is better than the quality matters rubric because I think it takes into account a lot of the things that um, other other well quality matters doesn't. So whenever I see a whenever I see a research report on on QM, I just like twitch a little bit. I'm like, no, no, and you've gone through so it, right? much. Do what? You, you're you're QM. I have, yeah. So and and I feel that it's missing. Some of the pieces that it's missing, um, just in the structure of the course and in the effectiveness of the course, I don't think that their measures are truly good measures of those things. Yeah, maybe we need to do a whole podcast about the organic growth of our rubric and how it ended up where it is, because um, it was a it was a three year development process and redesign process for that. I do think that that our university does not tout that rubric enough. I think that. And that it's probably because I helped leak. develop it. <laughs> well, that, I mean, honestly, it, it could be an industry standard. It really could. I think it's that good. Yeah. I mean, I consider it to be. Mm. <laughs> no one's asked me. <laughs> well, and I think it's way better for what we needed than, than QM. QM is not designed for a programmatic assessment of you know 10 classes moving online at mm -hmm. once with faculty working independently of themselves that are super busy and not on sabbatical and are teaching a full load while developing a class um so we we, we took an older version of qm that was available that they had on their website and and moved forward from there and adapted it to make it our own um Oh, yeah, and it yeah. needs so the, to be the, something that constantly has to be revisited anyway. Again, I and mean, as yeah. things change, as we're research actually evolves. Do, we're due to do it again, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always so, fun. It's dangers of, of Utopia. Work. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, so the same danger as before, right? Other institutions, they're coming after your faculty. They're mm -hmm. coming after your support staff. They're coming after your IDs. Or your, your faculty and your IDs are now reaching out for opportunities um, that they now qualify for based on their experience helping turn a level one to a two to a three or, or somewhere along those lines or they're the two to three year uh quote unquote job hoppers who are just trying to maximize their their career um what are you saying thomas <laughs> not everybody works somewhere for 20 years no and, and, and i get bored a, i get bored as a hiring manager it means nothing to me. If you work somewhere for 10 years, if you work somewhere, if you work five places in 10 years, unless every time you leave a job, you're like, 
I can't tell you. <laughs> like we had a we had a candidate one time that put this the weirdest answers on why he left each job, and we're like, okay, we get it. Yeah. You're 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 an a hole. Um, and then the 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 ultimate danger of level three is losing lots of your established content when there's shifts in technology and things are end of life, like flash, um, mm. uh, publishers, tool providers, contracts get ended. Um, so the flash, flash dying is a perfect example. But is it because we knew flash was dying. We knew flash was dying long before they pulled the plug on it. So we? we should have moved past that a long time. I had ago. a faculty member email me for one of the classes that I had you fix. I had a faculty member email me uh, two months ago and tell me to fix it because he, he didn't know what Flash was and had been dead already for, for five months. Um, luckily, you had already fixed it, so I just needed to load those videos in. Um, but yeah, no, he didn't, he didn't care. He didn't know it was a Flash because it wasn't his decision to put it in Flash, mm -hmm. right? It was a previous ID team that just did things for people. And they put it in for Flash and they put it in for HTML. Um, for some people, but he never had the HTML version. Um, and so, yeah, you're right, though. We had a lot of warning. So we were able to strategically assault that problem, right? And we told the faculty a year out, re-record your lectures. We're not going to pay money to have these eight-year-old flash videos turned into new turds. We want you to re-record your stuff. And like 90% of them, 95% of them, just made new lectures or already had made new lectures and they weren't even using the flash content anymore. It was simply a uh, legacy content that was copied over and copied over like a 40 foot tall dung beetle. Um, and, and then, yeah, the, the, the other big danger is when you lose um, publisher content through, through canceling contracts or, or uh, things that, that the faculty member wanted to keep using, but it's just out of their control. And now all of a sudden they've got to pivot on the spot in the summer and make, you know, 15 weeks of content. And you should never be like that weeks. though. If, if you are reviewing your contracts, if you are um, reviewing your courses, going over them, if you mm. are paying attention to the technology, if your yeah. team as a team is proactive instead of reactive, then these don't even, this doesn't even, it's a, it's a no brainer. You've already yeah, And that's like, a, that's problems. a key difference between levels one, two, and three is that, that, structure of support on the decision-making side mm -hmm. um that's it's easy to forget that it's there too because it's when it's when it's working it's seamless and it presents no barriers to success and no punishment for experimentation it's easy to forget about it and to forget about the battles that some of those people went through to get that structure set up mm -hmm. not that i know what any of that means Yeah, and ultimately, I wish that all organizations had the foresight to want to build these kind of, I mean, it truly, it truly is, at this level, a learning community. You know, people throw that term around all the time. Oh, we want to build a learning community. No, you want to, um, you want to dictate what everybody will use. If you have the buy-in from the ground up and the support from the top down, you can have this utopia. You really could. Uh, but if it doesn't go both ways, then it, it will just never exist. 
Yeah, and it has to be solidified over a long enough time period to where it becomes the actual uh, zeitgeist. It becomes the 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 way that that university sees itself moving forward. And it's like after you had 20 years of, of a support desk and, and all these things going together, supporting faculty, and like, it's not going away. Right. Um, right? No one's like, you know what we really need? Less help. <laughs> But that too is a danger in itself, um, which we see on occasion in in where we are. You know, it, it's it's an ebb and flow. So sometimes we have uh, sometimes we have a lot of work, and sometimes we don't have a lot of work. And I know that administration looks at those times when we have we don't have as much to do and goes, oh, we could probably cut costs here, and you know, you chop a couple positions. Here comes the beginning of the semester and you're short staffed mm. again. So it yeah. does take a, a little bit of um, fortitude to see through those ebbs and flows too. Yeah. And not have a reactive administration. Right. And, and to figure out ways to utilize the people. Mm -hmm. Right. How do you shift from, I don't have 25 courses to build right now. Well, you've still got all these faculty that need additional training. They need help. They need opportunities shown to them they need to know what these tools are that you are going to have to support next semester they, they need to have as much guidance as they can like you know publisher content maybe they're only using the e-text right and there's 25 layers of of stuff inside of that publisher content that they could be getting into or maybe they just said you know to the students go go into the publisher content and do whatever you want and that's their version of adopting the the digital content right i mean we've all seen that plenty of times um, and so, yeah, getting somebody to sit down with you with their syllabus and say, what could I actually do differently? And what could I include? And how, how do I focus my energies on what needs to be done and not just adopt four new tools into my class? And that goes back to just using all of your resources wisely, you know, knowing that you have a time coming where you're going to have downtime. Well, I know that this idea is good at this. I know that this idea is good at this. Maybe we could pull them in. And then it's more fulfilling for the ID, right? Because we're not mm -hmm. doing the same thing over and over again. And we get to play with some of our passion projects as well. It, I didn't it's even think just about a matter that, of yeah, that's a knowing key piece what of, they know. Of level three yeah. is you've got these, um, not entrenched, but these these expert IDs and different things, right? Maybe you got somebody that's done four different gamification uh, efforts and they've presented on it and co-authored. And, you know, maybe you've got somebody else that's uh, helped write, uh, you know, disaster recovery plans for the university. And there's just, anytime you have staff that are also fed into the university, you know, process mapping or any, any kind of institutional endeavors, um, the design thinking uh, element is extremely valuable in both in in both ways, right? They the IDs feed the design thinking up into the administration and the university. We need and they get too. better ideas. Yeah, we don't we don't want to get stagnant either, or at least hmm. some of us don't. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually yeah that that could be a whole show where I talk about my management ideas and style of of how do you guide eight different people in eight different ways. Right? There's no carbon copy. There's no easy way to do it. It's mm -hmm. extremely tiring and frustrating. What? But I fully recommend <laughs> it. There's no there's no better way to do it in my mind than building a separate management yep. structure 
for every person. But then again, I think I'm at my limit. If they add another person on my team, I'm probably just going to be like, you know what? You get this person's management style. You don't get your own. Oh, <laughs> you're not special enough. What were we just talking about, Thomas? <laughs> and those ones coming in need the most support. <sighs> don't Fine. fail me now. No, no, I've had to learn and grow and adapt with every new person. <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that this needs to be a presentation. I think this needs to be a presentation that um, that people that that need administration needs to ponder because they are ultimately the ones who are going to make these decisions. They're the ones who are looking for. I don't know how to build an online. Um, department. I don't know how to make a successful ID program. I mm -hmm. think that this is a wonderful example of how to build it. Uh, right. This is this is a this is a solution. Hey, we made a solution! Yay! You know, but this needs yeah. to be this needs to be out there, and people need to see it because, right? Especially with um, coming post pandemic, everybody and their mother is jumping on online education now. Yeah. And, and it's easy to see them as concentric circles, right? With no knowledge of yes. how one would turn into a level two, would turn into a level three. And then and, and in the presentation, we can actually show them the spiral, right? How do you grow these things naturally? How do you build it all up to where you have a, a, a tornado of, of learning? Tornado of learning. What the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> no more coffee. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, I'm at my limit. Yeah, I'm not allowed to have any more after this until I eat and drink water. Oh, and we're almost at like our hour too. We did it. Yeah. I think we were way more focused this time too. Um, it has to do with the early morning. I think so. This might be. This might be it. This I'm might be when I need to actually morning. talk. Yeah. yeah. Ditto. Mm -hmm.